Shalom Aleichem, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, we're looking at this week's Torah portion, and it just so happens to start the book of Exodus. I think we've been through the book of Exodus maybe three times, maybe four times on this broadcast, uh, on this podcast. So it's definitely up there in one of my favorite books uh, as far as the Torah is concerned. It's really a toss-up between Genesis and Exodus, but Exodus is just really filled with a lot of understanding about where the uh, religious uh, state of Israel comes from and where the law comes from. And there's this, there's so much here for us to understand the feast and uh, the you know the wilderness, all these things, um, Egypt. I mean, there's just so much, and it's really important for us to understand. I think in light of the times we are living in, because really the story of Egypt, the Passover, all of that, uh, I think, uh, really points to some times that we're living in now, maybe more so than we realize. But anyway, we'll dig into those things as they happen. Let's talk about the title of this week's portion. The very first portion in the book of Exodus is called Shemot. Uh, So Shemot is both the title for the second book from the scroll of the Torah. So Exodus, in Hebrew, the the book is actually called Shemot. Uh, Let me start that sentence again. Shemot is both the title for the second book from the scroll of the Torah and the title of the first Torah portion. Shemot means names. The English-speaking world calls this book Exodus. The Hebrew title from the book comes from the opening phrase of the book, which says, Now these are the names, Shemot, of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Exodus 1.1 The English name Exodus actually comes from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. The Greek title for the book is Exodus Aegypto, which translates as Departure from Egypt. The name Exodus is abbreviated from that title. Exodus just means departure. So the book of Exodus tells the story of the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt and their miraculous redemption through the hand of Moses, the story of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the construction of the golden calf, and the construction of the tabernacle. As we study the first week's reading from the book of Exodus, we find the children of Israel in slavery. It seems at first that the God of their forefathers has forgotten them, but God has not forgotten his promises. He remembers his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and brings a redeemer to the children's, to their children's children for the sake of his name, with love. So the outline, first six chapters, is what we're going to be looking at today. Really, the first five chapters. So Exodus one one through Exodus six one. So we have the introduction. We have the story of how the Israelites are being oppressed. We have the birth and the youth of Moses. We have Moses fleeing to Midian. We have Moses at the burning bush, the divine name revealed. Moses' miraculous power. Moses returns to Egypt. We have the whole bricks and straw scenario. 
and then the assurance of Israel's deliverance. So that is what is on the agenda for this morning. It is a lot, uh, but I think you'll be blessed. You know, we ended Genesis talking a lot about how Joseph is this picture of the sovereignty of God. We see the same thing with Moses, specifically dealing with his birth here at the very beginning. So listen to the story carefully and ask yourself, how could this even be possible without just divine intervention, even though we don't really see any or hear of any divine intervention happening? But clearly, the sovereignty of God is present with uh, the very youth and beginning of Moses' life. All right. That's a long introduction. Let's dig in and see what the Word of God has to say this morning, starting with Exodus chapter 1. Verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man in this household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar, Zublon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also with our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithiam and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Now please note, I know we're only 12 verses in. But something that I've been talking about and thinking about lately is historically, whenever God's people are persecuted and afflicted, it doesn't stamp out Christianity or stamp out God's people. What it typically does is cause a wildfire of revival. Interestingly enough, and it seems like the enemy, even though he's been up to these shenanigans for Thousands of years still can't grasp this truth. It says here that the more that, the, that Egypt afflicted the Hebrews, the more they multiplied and grew. Verse 12, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve them with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, 
of which the names of one was Sephara, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, Unto them, Why have you done these things, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered, and midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Please note, that's the end of chapter 1. Notice that, even though law is being passed, that the children of the Hebrews, if it's male, is to be murdered, it still doesn't, God still shows favor, and in spite of what Hebrew, in spite of what Pharaoh wants to do, in spite of what the law says, his people are still preserved, and they continue to thrive. Why? Because God had given the midwives a fear of Him. The midwives are working directly with the Hebrew women, and they don't want to do this evil thing. They fear God. And so they don't do it. So then Pharaoh is even more angry. He says, all these male children need to be thrown into the river. Chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi. And he took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and she bared a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months when she could no longer hide him, she took him an ark of bulrushes and doubled it with slime and with pitch and put a child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And a daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. She had compassion on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And she went, and she called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the women took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. All right, please note, because this is easy, I think, to overlook. Here's the story of the birth of Moses. You're supposed to kill the children. 
by law. Moses is born. His mother sees that he's a good, good baby, right? He's healthy. He's all these things. So she hides him for three months. But he gets to the point where he can't be hidden anymore. He's probably crying. He's making noises. You know, it's they're going to get caught. So she has to make a decision. Either she risks the Egyptians slaughtering him, or she can just trust that God will do something miraculous. So she puts him in a basket and puts him in the river. The sister watches from afar off, wondering what's going to happen to my baby brother. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to wash in the river. She sees the baby. She finds it. Little sister comes up and says, Do you want me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Daughter Pharaoh says, Sure, go get one. She goes and gets Moses' mother. Moses' mother comes. And now the daughter Pharaoh says, Hey, will you nurse this baby and, and, and I'll pay you to do it. So here, there's, if that's not a picture of sovereignty, I don't know what is. The mother thinks the child's going to have to be put to death or going to die, puts him in a basket, hopes for the best, ends up nursing the child anyway and being paid to do it by Pharaoh's daughter. But she kind of has to give the child to God and give the child to Pharaoh's daughter, which she then does. So verse 10, and the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she, the Pharaoh's daughter, called him Moshe. And said, because I drew him out of the water. Verse 11, And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went unto his brethren, and looked, and their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian, and hid him in the sand. When he went out a second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, when they said, what he did wrong, wherefore smitest... And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellows? And he said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedest the Egyptian? And Moses feared, and he said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian has seven daughters. And they came and they drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, their father said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us, and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zephora his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of their bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect 
unto them. So there's chapter 2. Just a quick summary. Moses is a man of justice, right? He can't stand injustice. This is very clear right out of the gate. He sees one of his brethren. Keep in mind, before this moment, Moses is considered Pharaoh's daughter's son. So he has access to Pharaoh. He has access to endless money, endless pleasure, everything he could possibly want. But he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being beaten. And he looks this way and he looks that way. Nobody's there. And he kills the Egyptian. Right? Buries him in the sand. Next day, he sees two of his brethren arguing and he tries to break it up. And they say, what are you going to do? Kill one of us just like you did the Egyptian? Moses realizes that, okay, the cat's out of the bag. He's afraid, so he flees. Then he sees this these women being uh, bothered by these shepherd men when all they're doing is trying to do is flee or water their flock, he intervenes, helps them water their flock. He ends up marrying one of the girls. All right, so now he's, and it says that he's content to, to be there, right? And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. So Moses leaves the Egyptian life, and he's fine. He's happy, he's content with his new life. Chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jephro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land, unto a good land and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now thither, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth from the, of the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? 
And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Hayah asher hayah. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, Yehovah Elohim, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. All right, so let's pause for just a minute. A lot of people get this confused because they don't know how to read a, a, a following verse or understand context. Moses says, okay, for Moses' first problem is he's like, who am I? Like, maybe you've got the wrong guy. I don't know if you've noticed, but I just take care of sheep, right? Like, uh, I've also murdered a man, you know, like 40 years ago. Anyway, God says, I've come down to deliver them. I'm going to use you. Moses says, what do I, when I go to the children of Israel, who do I even tell them has sent me? And God says, you tell them that Hayah Asher Hayah has sent you. Tell them that Hayah has sent you. What he's really doing in that moment is kind of giving, it's almost like a title. Um, saying, it's, it's like he's saying, I've always existed. I'm from the beginning of time. I am that I am. But if you read the next verse, he gives Moses his actual name. Now, unfortunately, and this is unfortunate, in all the English translations, it just says, tell them that the Lord God has sent you. I, I don't know why, you know, especially with the King James Bible, because the King James Bible does go out of its way at certain times to not just put in the, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, but there's several times where they actually put in the word Jehovah. By the way, the J sound, going back, the beginning of when English was being spoken wasn't pronounced as a J. J was pronounced as Ye, not J. So just like in Hebrew, there is no J sound. It's Yehovah. It, it said that in English, too. It, it, yes, it started with a J, but the J had a yes sound. It's only in modern times in the last couple hundred years that it's had a J sound. <laughs> okay, the last 300, 400 years. So anyway... There's a whole lesson there. People are so misunderstood about that, but I'm not, I can't go into that. We've got so much more to cover. But in, ver, in verse 15, it, it says, And Elohim said to Moshe, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, Yehovah Elohim, the God of your fathers. So he gives, them, he gives him his actual name. So we have two kind of names being being talked about here we have this what he is i am that i am but his name is yehovah or people will argue that it's yahuwah or some will argue that argue that it's yahweh whatever your idea is but he he gives him his name he's not saying that my name is the, i am that i am it's just that you tell them that i am has sent you you tell them that the one who's always existed sent you right that's what he's getting at and then again, verse 15. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, Yehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. 
Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Prezerites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, and thou, thou and the elders of Israel, and unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say unto them, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give you this people's favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. And of her sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. Okay, so there's chapter 3. So God's saying, you're going to go. You're going to do this thing. You're going to go before Pharaoh. Uh, he's not going to actually let you go. Uh, not by a mighty hand. I'm going to have to pour out some plagues and stuff upon the land of Egypt. Then they're going to let you go, but you're not even going to leave Egypt empty Hampton. You're going to leave Egypt with Egypt's wealth, right? Isn't this beautiful? God's people, they're oppressed, and they just multiply. They want to kill the babies. They have more babies. Not only is God going to free them, but they're going to walk out of there with the wealth of the Egyptians. It's, as it says right here, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. Chapter 4. And Moses answered and said, But, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thy hand? And he said, A rod. He said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thy hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and he caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. Alright, so we have this strange thing, right? He's, Moses is like, they're not going to believe me. Like, they're going to say, yeah, right, you heard from God. And he's like, okay, here's going to be the sign throw the rod on the ground. So he throws the rod on the ground and becomes a serpent. And of course, it's terrifying. He jumps away from it, as would any of us. And then God says, go grab it by the tail. At which point I would have said, uh, is there another way? Because, you know, I'm not trying to grab a snake. But Moses grabs it and it becomes a rod again. Now, why would he choose that method? We have to remember they're in Egypt, right? So they're familiar with Egypt's sorcery, Egypt's magicians, the things of Egypt, okay? There's some wild things about Egypt that are 
historical that we see here in the Bible. Uh, all kinds of things. We live in a time when we forgot about history. We forgot about the creatures of old. We've forgotten about the giants. We've forgotten about Egypt. Uh, we just assume that these amazing structures were built by men, even though our modern day technology and machines could never build it. There's, there's a lot of mystery here. There's a reason that God has the staff serpent thing, because he knows that that's going to speak to that generation. That's going to make sense to them in light of the world they're living in. Let's continue on. Verse 5. That the, so he says, does, does the rod thing. Verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And he, when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again. And he plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken unto the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also those two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, Thou shalt take the water out of the river, and pour it on the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heitherfore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf? or the seeing, or the blind, have not I the Lord? By the way, that's loaded. That's a loaded statement that God's saying. Moses is saying, I can't do this. I have a stutter. I'm slow to put words together. Like, I'm a terrible speaker. And God's like, who made the tongue? Stop worrying about these things. Who's in, who has the power over these things? In fact, who's the one that created the dumb and the deaf? That's a loaded statement, isn't it? What did God say? Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. So Moses is still like, send somebody else. Verse 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he see thee, he will be glad in his heart. And I will speak unto him, and I will put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of a god. And thou shalt take his rod in thy hand, and wherever thou shalt do signs, 
And Moses went and he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said unto Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses and Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. Moses took his wife and his sons, and he set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thy hand, and I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel, my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art, because of the circumcision. And the Lord said unto Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went, and he met him at the mount of God, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words that the Lord had, of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Please note a couple things here that kind of run together in the story. First off, God says, you're going to go to Pharaoh, but he's not going to let you go because I'm going to harden his heart. So who's the one hardening Pharaoh's heart? It's God. Why would God do this? Well, I can't speak for God other than to say maybe God's plan was to judge Egypt for what they have done. Right? It's kind of like taking care of two things at once. I'm going to free my people, but in the process, I'm going to teach them to trust me. I'm going to teach them that I am all-powerful, even over all the false gods of Egypt. And Pharaoh needs to be judged for what he's been doing. It's not that hard to try to comprehend, but people wrestle with this. Like, oh, God's so evil, he wouldn't... You wouldn't let maybe maybe God needed to judge Egypt. There's so many things we all try to think for God. Like, how could He do this? And then the second thing is, is suddenly out of nowhere, God's ready to strike Moses because Moses has been disobedient in an area. Happens to be circumcision, right? So then the wife, who's not a Hebrew, gets worked up, does the circumcision, and throws the foreskin. <laughs> I mean. It's, it's in the Bible. It's, it's the story. Then God talks to Aaron and says, you need to go meet Moses. Okay, and so that's what happens. Let's pick up verse 29. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that they had looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Chapter 5 And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is Jehovah, that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, 
The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of Israel now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day that the taskmaster of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail of the bricks which they did make heretofore too, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let there more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmaster of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get your straw where you can find it, ye not ye aught of your work shall be diminished. So in a nutshell, Aaron and Moses go before Pharaoh, say, Hey, we need to go sacrifice to our God, three days journey, blah, blah, blah. Moses says, I don't even know who Jehovah is. This isn't going to happen. Furthermore, since you want to be like this, I'm going to make your lives even more miserable. We're going to lay more burdens on you. We're going to work you even harder now. Verse, uh, verse 12. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmaster hastened them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily task, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say unto us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is not thy own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle, therefore. You say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall be no straw be given to you. Yet shall you deliver the tale of bricks." And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case after it was said, You shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way, and they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord took upon you, and judge, because you have made our Savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of the servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast he delivered thy people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And that is how the portion ends. It ends with verse 1 of chapter 6.
So basically, Moses, he's complaining to God here at the end of the Porsche. He's saying, God, you, you sent me to do this thing. I go and I do it, and you haven't shown your people any favor. In fact, things have gotten much worse. Like, why did you do this? God has his reasons. He says, now you're going to see. You're going to see now. I have my purposes. He says, now you'll see what, what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he shall let you go. And with a strong hand, he will drive you out of the land. Before this is all over, he's going to be begging you to leave. And you're going to leave with their wealth. So, many, so often we, and I've done this before as well. I'm, I'm wrapping up right now. I know this has went on way too long. I do that thing too where I pray for a need or for something and then it seems like in the, in the coming days that that situation maybe gets worse. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, God, why are you giving me the opposite thing? Like I pray for this and you give me the opposite. And I've had times where I'm so upset, you know, and I'm like, Lord... What about what Jesus says, you know, even an, even an evil person will not give his son a snake when he's asking for a fish. Like, I'm praying for this thing and you're giving me the opposite right now. It's like we don't, we want prayer solution, prayer solution. What we don't want to do is pray, give God space and time to work and work it out, Right? It's like we just think he should wave a magic wand and fix whatever our issue is. God uses people, and he uses the, the laws and the realm that he created. And so he uses people when he puts things in place, and sometimes these things take time. It's not to say that God can't just make it happen, but that's not the way he typically operates. He has his purposes for Egypt, and he has his purposes for Israel, his people. So he has to let things play out because he's just. He's just. Before he pours out these judgments on Egypt, that that you know that cup has to be full. The cup of the wrath, you know, you you see pictures of this throughout the Bible. He's waiting. We'll even see with the well, I'm not going to get into that. We're going to get too many rabbit trails. God's promises and deliverance will happen, as we're going to see in next week's Porsche. That's all I have for you this morning. I apologize. A lot of rambling, a lot of talking, 41 minutes. I hope that you've been blessed. Thanks for listening. Lord willing, I'm going to try to do a podcast tomorrow. Uh, we'll see how things go. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.